I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's shows. On Monday, we channel hopped around 666 cable channels and stay tuned. And today we're handing over $50 to the man installing the cable so he'll give us all the movie channels for free. Even the dirty ones. From 1996, Jim Carrey goes dark in The Cable Guy. Cable Guy! Let's do this. Slip the Cable Guy 50 bucks, we'll give you all the movie channels for free. You're offering me a bribe. What you have just done is illegal. And in this state, if convicted, you could be fined up to $5,000 or spend six months in a correctional facility. Oh, oh, please, no, that was dumb. I'm just, I was just making conversation. <laughs> I'll juice you up. We'll declare a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Dry land is not a myth. I've seen it. <laughs> Kevin Costner, Waterworld. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Frompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Are you excited about the second movie this week, Chris? Because I know you don't like these movies this week which is why you've picked some very different movies for next week yep excellent <laughs> yeah 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 it's hot in here isn't it it's really hot. really hot <laughs> really want to crack the, the on the listeners don't care about that come on uh, let's okay. talk about the films sure 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 uh, maybe just before we talk about the films I'll just say this um if you haven't subscribed to us, mm. please do uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And if you are kind enough and your platform allows it, uh, do leave us a, a little rating. And uh, if you've got time, a review. It is massively useful to us here at Clash Pod. And also, if you leave a review, you might have it read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. This is from Matty Zaff, who says, My favourite pod to listen to. I want to go for a drink with these guys. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Do you though? Yeah. <laughs> I, this is why I said it. I'm not sure you do. It always um, starts so well. Mm, and then Alex gets shots. 
Oh, I meant to tell you about a drink. I, I can solve all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. But I love the idea that you can solve some. Have you ever had a Paloma? As in faith? No. Okay. What's that supposed to mean? No. It's right. a drink. Right, okay. It's so a good it's, joke. It's a shit joke. Uh, I like the fact that Chris liked that joke. Tequila. We're on the same level. Football. Hey. Uh, tequila. We high fived in the studio. Pink grapefruit. Listen, tequila, pink grapefruit, sorry. Soda. Tequila, pink grapefruit and soda, or tequila and ting, which is a grapefruit soda. Uh, put a little bit of chilli salt on the top of there. So it's a long drink with tequila. Mm-hmm. It's refreshing. It's delicious. And it will stretch out your tequila drinking mm-hmm. and get a little bit of liquid going there that you might need. So I'll have my tequila strength and fruit sugar strength. Yes, you will. Double and you will strength. therefore be invincible. I oh, love that. That sounds really nice. So wait, are we talking fizzy pink grapefruit or fresh pink grapefruit? Uh, fizzy, because if you had fresh pink grapefruit, you'd top it up with soda water. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ting. And you all use ting, a can of ting, yeah. I've had ting before. I've had mm. rum and ting. Delicious. Mm. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yum. Mm. I don't know if it's got a special name because rum and ting just already <laughs> sounds kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, V. You're welcome. Have you had one? I've had lots. <laughs> I mean, tequila is my drink of this summer uh-huh. and last summer and next summer. And Tequila's tonight, yeah. my drink. Yeah. I really do enjoy Have tequila. Have a Paloma. You'll really like it. What you want to do is you want to invest in an expensive tequila and have it as a sipping tequila. There is tequila that is so good that you can just sip it. I know. I know, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm not, we are all so on air. So sometimes I'm saying things just so we can all just know them together. Yeah. Yeah. We can cut all that. <laughs> I'm going to talk at you during the game tonight, Chris. I'm going to be like, what's that? Why has he done that? Why has he kicked the ball there? Is he offside? Is he? I don't mind. Is he? Really? Yeah. I bet you'd love that, wouldn't you? Sit down, Alex. Let me tell you about the beautiful game. On Monday, Vicky kept us glued to our screens with Stay Tuned. And today, not for the first time, Chris slips a guy $50 for something extra in the cable guy. Chris, take us on a journey. Oh, that's cheeky. In 1994, Jim Carrey was the biggest movie star in the world. 1994 was also the year that the rubber-faced comic blew his career up by demanding $20 million to star in a comedy about stalking. Marketed as the feel-good film of the summer, the actual movie was anything but, with Scary Carrey giving Matthew Broderick free cable, then expecting friendship and maybe something more in return. When that isn't forthcoming, the cable guy kicks the crap out of him, gets him sacked, ruins relations with his family and friends, puts him in prison, kidnaps his ex and tries to kill him. Cue nervous laughter from the people who made it and little laughter from critics and audiences, the movie only just breaking even at the box office. Carey, meanwhile, was laughing all the way to the bank. Presenting our 200th Clash title, say hi to the cable guy. Our 200th Clash title. I mean, I take issue with this. You know I do. Because you in, get your pants in a twist about the numbering system. I just... I, this is the 200th film we've done. According to Chris Tilly. Well, according well, to what, me, it would be next week. Okay, well, what? Or maybe the week after. Okay, right. But why? Because we didn't number a few episodes. Oh, no, no. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about episodes. This is the 200th film we've clashed. So this cha- this includes the oh, change... Okay. This, is, this includes this, the change we where we formatted it differently when we stopped doing two films in one episode. Oh, I don't know. This is the 200th film right, fine, we've right. done on Clash of the Titles. All right. Right, <laughs> I don't know why you two can't understand that. This is how he wins. <laughs> Just big voice, isn't it? Big voice for a small man. So, <laughs> yep. 
When did you see this film? Uh, I saw it once before now in the mid-90s on VHS and kind of like you said in your introduction, I mean, at this point I'd seen The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, both Ace Venturas in literally the previous few years. So tonally, I walked into this expecting a certain something and what I got was very, very different. But... While I didn't like it at the time, and I'm quite happy to say that, I was one of those kids that just didn't, I just didn't get it. It wasn't that I hated it. It was just, I was like, this isn't funny. This isn't what I expected from a Jim Carrey movie. I now, with adult eyes, am, was very keen to rewatch it because it sounds on paper like something that's very appealing. So you Carrey do like a big mainstream comedy or intended to be a big mainstream comedy, but really twisted. Vicky. Never seen it. Um, which I, it did surprise me because I was a fan of him around this time I did like The Mask I did like Ace Ventura I was dazzled by him I, I think you know I would have wanted to see everything he was doing but it passed me by and then over the years I've been told I will hate it so I've avoided it interesting mm. what's yours? I was a huge Dumb and Dumber fan and I couldn't stand Ace Ventura what? so I was quite conflicted uh, when I saw the trailer for this so I didn't watch it in the cinema and I caught it on video and I felt like I was watching Jim Carrey do Adam Sandler which was definitely not my bag back then so I was not a fan but it seems to have had something of a reappraisal mm. over certainly over the last decade which is why we're doing it and so I was very interested uh, to revisit it it's interesting that you mentioned Adam Sandler uh, I think he was up for the role at one point but also I watched it now and I think it's the voice that he uses mm. the lisp which mm. just feels like very much an Adam Sandler affectation that he would do with yeah. that character which definitely had me turning off films yeah. in why that did, era why, why didn't you like Ace Ventura Ace Ventura I don't find anything <laughs> funny about that character I went to see it in the cinema and I was I was just I couldn't understand why everyone was laughing <laughs> when he gives birth and he climbs out of a rhino <laughs> like it's so funny I, when Nature Calls is actually funnier than the first one that's due for a reappraisal but we're not doing it with no, the cable sure. guy. All right, sorry. Because you no. picked it. Yeah, I did. I did. So, a little bit of background. It was written by someone called Lou Holtz Jr. Alex talked about him on Monday. Um, it's the only script he had produced hmm? in his entire career. You don't really need to write another script if you've been paid $750,000 <laughs> for your first one and then had it completely rewritten anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Jim Carrey liked the script. He signed up. Suddenly he was in control. So uh, Judd Apatow was a friend of his. Um, he wanted in, so Carrey brought him on board. Judd pitched himself to direct the film. Sony said, no way. You ain't directing this. Uh, so the pair of them asked Ben Stiller, their friend. And that's how they had their core team of three people who made this movie. Uh, and the writing is quite interesting. Um, Judd Apatow's written about it recently. Um, they did a commentary in about 15 years after they made the movie on the Blu-ray. And it's awkward because basically on the commentary, Apatow says, I can't talk about this situation because I will get kicked out of the Writers Guild. <laughs> um, uh, so he wasn't allowed to say that he wrote this film, but he believes he completely rewrote it. Yeah, because the original script by Lou Holtz Jr. was, I think it was a much more mainstream, family-friendly, I think What About Bob is often <laughs> mentioned as something that is going to be like more an annoying friend who gets in the way and is an irritation. Yeah, he was asked to make it darker and, and Judd said uh, he was lonely at the time he wasn't working. He was sitting at home and watching the Menendez trial. So that certainly forms part of this movie. But but he said to prepare, he watched Bad Influence and Single White Female. Mm -hmm. And of that rewrite, as Alex said, uh, this is a quote from Judd. Jim wanted to change it significantly and make it much more of a comedic version of Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Unlawful Entry. Whereas the original draft was a little bit more like What About Bob? Annoying Friend movie. It had a light punch to it and we wanted to turn it into a thriller. 
Um, but he did try to get writing credit and he lost that arbitration because as a producer, it's much harder to get writing credit because they don't want producers stealing credit from their writers on the films that they've mm. made. So he lost that. But I mean, now he does sort of say, yes, this is actually my script. <laughs> um, um, so the film turned out how they wanted it to, by all accounts. Mm. Uh, the three of them are super happy uh, with the finished movie, but the studio um, wasn't sure what to do it. They took all the dark stuff out of it for the trailer, promoted it as a summer blockbuster, which it very much wasn't. They call it, um, <clears throat> Stiller and Apatow call it, a pseudo-sexual thriller about obsession, and they reckon it should have been released at Halloween, not at the height <laughs> of summer. Mm. And Apatow said it, it threw him for years. He said, he, I loved it so much, uh, but it made him feel like he was out of step with audiences. So he wanted to chuck it all in. Um, he said, how I always felt about this movie was when you watch it for the first time, it looks scary. It has scary music and Jim's performance is so intense that you actually think he might kill somebody. Mm -hmm. So when you watch it, you're kind of scared and it's difficult to laugh for I, some people. Like I said, I haven't seen it for years and I swore that he killed the Jack Black character at one point. I right. thought he was dead meat when I was watching mm. it this time because I couldn't, I couldn't remember. Isn't it that... I think Judd Apatow has sort of since acknowledged that, like, to watch it now, years later, I don't know if this was on that commentary or an interview. It was an interview, I think, I was reading in the Washington mm. Post. He said the, the movie is much stranger and darker than we realised at the moment we were making it. Only years later do we watch it and think, wow, that movie is really funny, but totally crazy. Mm. And yet on that commentary, they said they wish they'd gone even darker. When they knew that that was going to be the fallout, mm. we could have pushed it even further. And obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that with the ending, because I think... Um, it could have ended very differently. But the biggest story that came out of it was Jim Carrey became the first actor to be t paid uh, $20 million for a movie. Um, and the studio made the strange decision to, to put that out as an announcement, which they just felt put them all under huge pressure. Mm. And you get the sense from Carrey as well. He kind of melts down when he hears that kind of thing. He said that... You know, when Ace Ventura was such a big success and he got dumb and dumber, he just wants to blow things up and rebel. So he chipped his tooth and cut his own hair for Dumb and Dumber. And they said, what are you doing? None of, we haven't asked you to do this. But And with this, with the lisp, that was his idea. He had a, there was a character he played on in Living Colour called Dickie Richardson, who had a lisp and protected the local 7-Eleven. And so he took that lisp and put it in the movie and asked Judd to go away and write words that would be hard for him to say. So... I think there is an element of him wanting to be outrageous and rebel against the system. I think it's a terrible idea putting out what you've paid your star as well, because, you know, I, I totally get it's in America, in Hollywood to a studio exec. That's like, look how good your movie's going to be when you come and see it, because he was worth 20 million. So it's going to be amazing. But you forget that your average Joe is going to be like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not interested in this film. I don't want you. Know, I don't want to see someone be paid 20. You know what I earn? And you're asking yeah. me to go and see this film. Us, we British people. Uh, have a we have a very different sense of money to North Americans, where it's like they you know it's they're quite upfront about money, whereas we're quite secretive about it. And when it's out there, it feels quite um, what's the word like not dirty, but just like just like someone's showing off, and we hate that. Yeah, but that's the it's the American dream thing, isn't it? You know, being yeah. paying twenty million is like Jim Carrey's great done news. it. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's, he's made it. Yeah. And and their argument was that he he was a big star in America, and he's one of the few stars that could sell in every country. Yeah. All around the world. So, yeah, I mean, and, and obviously this is, you know, everyone thinks it's a flop, but it did make its money back and a little bit of profit. But if you look at the numbers, this was this made $100 million. 
Sorry, Cable Guy made 60 million in the States. Yeah, well, that's right, yeah. Ace Ventura made 70 million. The Mask made 120 million. And Dumb and Dumber made 130 million. Mm. And they all cost a lot less than this. So that's where the issue comes in. Mm. Um, that he was sort of on this trajectory and this was the first sort of flop he'd had. But- I wonder why it didn't do well. I guess it must have been word of mouth because the reviews weren't that. Uh, different to the other no, films. No, the reviews were the reviews were very negative because the reviews really focused on um, the paycheck. Every review mentioned the paycheck, right. and also rather than credit Jim Carrey for taking a chance, having done three comedies that were sort of very family focused and doing something a bit different, they wanted to say that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. We don't like you doing this. We want you to do that, and so. Yeah, because we yeah. if someone's getting paid lots, we're like we want them to get their comeuppance a bit, don't we? Like it's Emperor's New Clothes stuff. It's like yeah. you know you've reached the point where we're ready to the, the. I mean, you know, any misstep he'd made at this point, whether it's the Cable Guy or another movie, I think you know if they're flouting twenty million dollars, then he, he would have um, and, he would have been. Torn and the down. knives were out in Hollywood as well because up until that point, the the limit for an actor, the the, the big stars were getting fifteen million dollars a movie. I think the most anyone had got was seventeen million. It was Arnie or Sly around this era, but no one had made the jump to 20 million and the studio seemed to have that sort of locked down mm. and so once one studio did this it yeah. screwed everyone up so everyone's every actor is asking his agent why aren't you getting me this amount of money yeah. every studio is under pressure to pay that amount of money so i think the whole of hollywood sort of turned on 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 him because of this so let's talk about the movie yeah so we meet stephen kovach played by matthew broderick he's an architect um he's asked his girlfriend to marry him she said no and kicked him out so he's moving into his own place and he's waiting for the cable guy it doesn't waste much time the film to get going uh because the cable guy uh arrives pretty swiftly i think the credits uh, the titles rather are still on screen when um jack black's going slipping 50 dollars yeah for the extra channels yeah and the first thing the cable guy does is shout at him Hmm. um and he does an interesting thing here, which I hadn't really noticed until I listened to that commentary. Carey says that for the whole film, uh, the character isn't looking people in the eye. He's looking at their foreheads. Right. And it's very unnerving. And so I think that subconsciously we are weirded out by just he's not quite connecting. Room, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, he's acting strange from the beginning, though. He's he, He's been in this apartment before because... I don't know. You're not sure if he really has when he says it. Mm. But then later on, when you realise that he's probably had his phone tapped, he's staked that place out in advance. So he has been in there before and he's... Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that that upset me. It was as in... So this is the first time I've seen it. And when he walks, when Jim Carrey walks in and he's sort of, he's there with that voice, you're like, whoa, that's that's crazy. But it's very funny when he's talking to Matthew Broderick and he's like, oh, they managed to clean the floors. And he's like, oh, murder apartment. He's like, no, because they had a lot of cats. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking funny. But it's the bit, the tonal shift that caught me off guard, which I wasn't expecting, was mm. when he's looking for the sweet spot to find the cable and he like rubs his fingers down the wall and like does like this circular motion. That's like, I don't need to see you do that at all. Like I found that very upsetting. Watching it this time was the first time I'd noticed that there was... There's quite a lot of sexuality going on. Yeah. There's one scene where it cuts to the two of them and they're in the in the hallway and he's just like hugging him and there's a lot of face touching and there's the nipple rub in prison. Yeah. So it, it never <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's weird. I mean, right from the start, I I, I found that this movie it, it 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 shows the limits of Carrie's ability. Like, I, I don't know whether it's the script, the tone, but throughout this movie, you feel like you're watching a guy who has nailed it in every movie to this point suddenly, like, flounder a bit. Like, his physicality and his physical comedy 
doesn't work within the confines of the narrative and the script uh, and the character and the tone mainly of this film. They feel like at odds with each other and you sometimes feel like you're watching him struggle. That's what I, that's what I felt watching it. So anyway, he um, asks for the illegal cable and having uh, messed with his head a little bit, the cable guy agrees to it, gives him his personal pager number, says he'll take him up to the satellite sometime. Next thing you know, he's taking him up to the satellite. That's funny. That, but it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, tomorrow? Yeah, that's, we, all, yeah we all know that for you. Yeah. <laughs> TV has raised the cable guy, we find out in this scene, which is the same backstory as another character we talked about not that long ago. TV is what did you say? Raised him. Raised him up. Uh, no, raised him oh, instead, raised of, him instead a child. of his parents. Yeah. Wait, that horror? Was, a, was it a horror? No, it was a comedy. It was Scrooge. That is Bill Murray's backstory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the TV raised him, which is not that long before. And then he claims his name is Ernie Douglas, but his friends call him Chip. And as I said on Monday's episode, Chip Douglas was one of the kids in a sitcom called My Three Sons that ran from 1960 to 1972. And the hook was that a guy has to bring up three boys. That was the hook. Okay. That was a sitcom in the in the 60s. All right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> then they go to some basketball. Wait, you've missed like this weird bit when they're on the dish. Oh, I love that bit. The bit where he says about how his father used to beat him and that's uh, yeah. why he's had reconstructive surgery where he couldn't afford reconstructive surgery on his yeah. face or, or something. Which... Yeah, but it shows that Steve is a bit of a dick because it's too easy to be like, Chip is weird and all the rest of it. And they're having a male bonding moment, which is really lovely to see. Mm. And Chip is telling his story. And rather than Steve being like, oh shit, God, that's awful. Tell me about it. He's like, yeah, I had a pretty rough time too. Mm. It's like that classic mm. thing of like, listen to someone talking to you rather than being like, yeah, me too. That happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think maybe one of the reasons as well this film didn't work is because Steve is so unlikable as well. He's not he's not a nice protagonist. And so I wondered if the passage of time has made Steve's hang up with Chip's lisp less palatable because Steve says to him in the dish, my brother's a speech therapist. And Chip's like, this. he doesn't say it, but he's like, this lisp is not a problem for me. I don't identify as this as a problem. It's just how I am. I have a horrible backstory, which we've just glossed over, so you're not the person to talk to about it. And later on, when Steve gives in the book about curing your lisp, within the confines of the movie, Chip does not see his lisp as something that needs to be quote marks cured so that to me was like Steve's a bit of a dick but I wondered if that's just the passage of time and would that have been mm. a kind thing to but do it, to there, someone there is a deleted scene where he's using the lisp tapes to try and get rid of his lisp because he gives yeah. him the book later doesn't he yeah but and he doesn't ask for the book he's, he doesn't but say he seems over the moon when he gets yeah. that it's a complete switch from <clears throat> yeah. this scene where he's like I don't see a problem with it to yeah. then which is strange but also is the lisp real yeah, because he doesn't it, yeah. lisp when he's doing impressions, and he stops lisping when Stephen punches him. Yeah, he does, and then he punches him again, and the lisp comes back. I've so, seen that joke a million times, but it's a good joke. But equally, we're dealing with a guy who's who's uh, his whole um, everything's a lie. Everything about him is a lie. Yeah. So is this just something else he's done? Indeed, which is why that sort of domestic abuse story and reconstructive surgery, you sort of go. Oof, that's this is not a family comedy. Mm. Uh, that's a weird backstory. But then you go, yeah, did he just make it Probably up? Probably not true, yeah. Mm. Then they're playing basketball. Um, did you like the basketball scene? No. Uh, nope. I wrote down, bit broad. Bit broad. Bit broad. Mm. Warms up, playing prison rules, jumps on, Jack Black back. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not easy to say. I just realised. Jack Black back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen it. It's, you know... I think if if along came Polly has a better basketball joke in it than your mm. movie, then you are not as good as you should be. Because the I, I, the best basketball visual gag is Ben Stiller's face being 
pressed down against a very sweaty man's torso. It just triggered a lot of anxiety for me about getting told off as well. Because when they when he shatters the screen, I was like, but the person that runs the leisure centre is going to be really cross. And where is the telling off? The best scene in the basketball game is the his warm up where he does sprints to smaller <laughs> and smaller uh, lengths. That's funny. Yeah. This is one of those examples as well where, you know, I've been talking about lately when the, the, the trivia is wrong on IMDb or or wherever. And this is where trivia everywhere says that Jim Carrey was so bad at basketball, they had to sometimes CG the ball in. No. Um, and that's a joke on the commentary that he's taking the piss when he says that. But that's ended up. And I've, I've seen that in articles now about this film. So. New true. Uh, we get a flashback as well to um, Chip's childhood where his um, his mum is going out for happy hour while the TV babysits the kid. Mm. Did you like that? That was yeah, nice. Yeah, I thought it was lovely. And it explains, you know, he just wants a brother and he's been raised by the television. And there's, I thought I found it very actually within <laughs> the limits of this film, genuinely a bit moving. Yes. Yeah. He's watching Play Misty for me. Mm. Have you seen Play Misty for me? I have not. It's the Clint Eastwood um, movie where he plays a, a radio disc jockey who's being stalked by a fan. It looks good. This, yeah, but uh, it ties into to Chip's uh, yeah. Chip's behaviour here as well. The um, the uh, the twin brother story that is sort of bubbling along in the background at this moment with Ben Stiller yeah. on screens. There's, there's a very funny Ben Stiller moment that Ben Stiller pulls off uh, incredibly well, which is where they play the answer phone message and he's trying to convince them it's an Asian gang. So the trouble for me is because of the voice, because I thought the list wasn't real and Chip's characters, he puts on voices and we've got a brother subplot kind of bubbling away in his Mm. backstory that he wanted a brother and then you've got the twin brothers thing. I was expecting this film to say that Steve would uncover that Chip murdered Ben Stiller's twin brother and he'd been framed. When that didn't happen, I was like, oh, that to me was right there. And I expected him to delve deeper into Chip's past and discover he was a murderer. There's a fan theory that that is the case, but it's not. It's not true, but it's actually, it would have been a really good yeah. through line for the film and it would have connected everything up. I feel up. like it's all there. With the, the clip where he's like, oh, it's an, it's an Asian gang. And yeah. like, it's very yeah. funny, but it's like, because I, you I can't. I think it was an Asian gang or something. They were, they were speaking another language. I'm pretty sure it was Asian. <laughs> and you know, I'm obsessed with real life 911 calls where you can tell if someone's done something or not. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's really dark. And if you—that's the classic. Someone has done it because you're you're trying to draw attention away from you, and you're over like you're obviously lying. But you're like it must have been these people rather than focusing on what's in front of you, which is the crisis. Well, if you, I was going to say it for the end, but if you want to talk about that subplot now, so Ben Ben Stiller's playing Stan Sweet, who's a former child star who's been accused of shooting his twin brother in cold blood. They were on a TV show called Double Trouble when they were kids. Then they joined the Brotherhood of Friends cult. As Alex says, you hear the you hear the nine one one call and then a bit later um, we see the TV movie that's been made Brother Sweet Brother with Eric Roberts (laughs) starring Eric Roberts (laughs) and amazingly I mean this is only a tiny moment in the film but but Ben Stiller dyed his hair red for the role he's got dark red hair and Eric Roberts dyed his hair red to play him in the TV movie (laughs) and I'm sad about this but there is a deleted scene um, from uh, that plot line where um, Stan Sweet is having a party in a hotel room and there's you know half naked girl around and guys doing drugs and then he comes out with a mirror holding a mirror up to his face pretending to be his brother back from the dead and then he punches the mirror (laughs) and says now you are dead (laughs) and everyone looks at him really shocked (laughs) which i feel like gives away stan sweet probably did it okay um as does the 911 call doesn't it yeah yeah. (laughs) 
So, uh, next thing we know, they're heading to medieval times. Yay! <laughs> medieval times. <laughs> so that was Jim Carrey's idea. He added that into the script because he'd had an awful experience at a Renaissance fair once. Did you ever go to a theme park just off the M6 by Charnock Richard called Camelot, which was in the north mm. um, near Preston? It was fucking brilliant, and that's why I love medieval times so much. There's a uh, there's a restaurant down by Tower Bridge called Medieval Banquet in London, where you can have a similar kind of experience. Take to me this. There. They have knights fighting with swords. Have you been? No, I I've I've went there, but sort of when it had ended, I knew some people that were in there, and our pub had closed, so we went there at about ten p.m. Mm. and it was quite a fun place to walk into halfway we, through. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we'd have to be there the whole night <laughs> because I feel like eating dinner next to a bunch of horse shit is not sure. the most appealing place yeah. to go and yeah to go and spend it's just time. A but... large part of my childhood was spent <laughs> watching jousting, which you wouldn't think. If you knew me, that's true. We went to Camelot all the time. Have you ever actually been to a, a, a theme restaurant, though, for dinner as opposed to a theme park? Oh, I went to one in Japan with um, no. the Football Rambles Pete Donaldson when we were in Tokyo. It was a horror-themed uh, restaurant, and they they take it very seriously. Like it was quite scary, actually. There were a lot of elements to it that felt unregulated. <laughs> Just a lot of people running around with what looked like actual weapons trying right. to scare you, and you're like... Trying to have your dinner. I don't know if you're a professional. I don't know if you have a license for that. Sort of, I don't really know what's going on. And there was a tiny little statue of a werewolf with its penis out. Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, Judd Apatow and Ben Stiller collaborated on The Ben Stiller Show, which was this amazing, really influential um, sketch show on the States that flopped big time. Uh, and they used all of that cast in this film. So here we've got Janine Garofalo playing the waitress. She's such a scene stealer in this mm. movie. She does a lot with a the little there, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. We're talking face acting, aren't we? <laughs> the looks the look she gives the pair of them <laughs> tell you everything you need to know. Dude, I got a lot of tables. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, <laughs> yeah, Matthew Broderick, Steve is a dick when he's like, so there was no utensils in medieval times, but there was Pepsi. Okay. Yes, yeah, Steve, Steve is a dick. And so I think with all those thrillers that they name-checked, you kind of normally quite like, you're supposed to quite like the protagonist, so you want yeah. them to not die. Whereas with Steve, I was less bothered. Yeah. Steve only comes across as likeable when Owen Wilson shows up and it's like okay. has to turn up his dickiness to 11 to make Steve seem palatable. But Owen Wilson is so fucking good at this. He's piss poor. I can't believe you like him in it. Really? Yeah, there are moments when, it's the physical comedy stuff, when Jim Carrey, when they're fighting in the bathroom, it looks like a fucking rehearsal. Like his face isn't right. Like Yeah, I just mean he captures that kind of guy. He's got the best line where he says, you're actually very sexy. And she says, what? He's like, you heard me. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. I, just, I, feel like, I feel like he's nailed that character of that guy goes, who's like, listen, he's going, yeah, go on, tell me about your job. He's yeah, like, I just need a Actually, you know, I'm going to go to the restroom. <laughs> but and, I'm you know, really yeah. interested. And then as he stands up, he's like, yo, what's going on with the chicken? <laughs> he's great. So the cable guy gave the knights free cable so they would let um, him and Steve sword fight. Andy Dick is in it. Andy Dick, <laughs> who was on the while. Ben Stiller show. Um, and they sort of do a reenactment of a fight in a famous episode of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. And what I like here is that... Um, you can hear the music is on the score, mm. 
that that would be playing in the cable guy's head. It almost puts us in his head and then he starts singing it himself. Yeah. I feel like they do this all the way through the film where they're trying to just give us little glimpses of what it feels like to be him. I wish they'd gone further because when he's enacting the Star Trek fight, I wish they'd gone full more sort of fully into exploring that Chip can't do anything or doesn't or chooses not to do anything that he hasn't first seen on TV. So mm. he uses TV to sort of influence certain moments in his life like the Star Trek fight, but he it isn't really he he's a sort of weird cable guy who has been raised on television, and the link is there. But I don't I don't think I think maybe they just don't go as fu- as fully into it. Like there was this spec script I read years ago, which I think about all the time, and I don't think or maybe it did get made. I don't know where a woman does all the rom com things that she's seen in rom coms to try and win the guy. So she in she forces a meet cue, she sends him flowers at work, she has a big makeover to impress him, she starts like half stalking him, and then it shifts in tone. And he has her arrested because obviously in the real world, mm. you can't act like you do on TV. And I wanted to see Chip be more like that, like mm. try and do stuff that flies on TV, no problem. But in the real world, wouldn't happen. Mm. But you've hit the nail on the head. That is the, that's that's the ultimate problem. It's not clear what he is. Yeah. Like, and if he was that, that would be amazing. If it was if it was just him reenacting scenes from things that we all knew, then you'd get it. It's mm. like, but it is good at the end where he's climbing up the ladder and he goes, you know, the problem with real life, there's no dramatic music and then starts <laughs> humming the score of the movie as it plays. <laughs> yeah, it's very clever. Uh, and the other thing I'll say about these fight scenes is is they say, uh, Judd Apatow says this, that you, you're talking about the physicality of Jim Carrey. They were saying he's so unique in the way that he moves. We couldn't double him. We couldn't. So he has to do all his own stunts because no one moves quite like Jim Carrey. He moves Carey. like a lizard. That's how he moves. And they've got they've got half an hour of rehearsal footage on that Blu-ray, and it is amazing where they've just got a big rehearsal space, and a lot of the scenes you see in the film, it's just him moving in ways that I didn't think human beings could move. A lot of it doesn't end up in the film, but um, I'll talk about one just after this break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So we're back with a section I'm calling Rosemary's Party. <laughs> because it's a party that's straight out of Rosemary's Baby. Uh, still is very clear on the commentary that he was channeling Roman Pol- Polanski uh, in this scene and, and a couple of scenes a bit later. But it's this karaoke party um, filled with old people, a bit like that apartment block in Rosemary's Baby. And it's weird. It's brilliantly weird. <laughs> I mean, without, I think without Jim Carrey selling the shit out of the Jefferson Airplane song... Oh. It would be a bit lost because, and this is my problem, I recognise, but Matthew Broderick gets smashed on tequila. And I was like, well, he, yeah, we've, just, ne- we've never done that. No, but he's, <laughs> he's beyond, he's gone. He's tripping, he's yeah. nuts off. We've and- never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was like, you square. Like, I mean, I just didn't quite buy it. I needed him to, I needed him to See, be I'm on not, acid. Am I the ringleader? No, I'm not the ringleader. <laughs> you there square. It is. There it is. Unbelievable. That's why we end up drinking so much. Come on, you squares. She's a bully. <laughs> Pussies. <laughs> She's a bully. But as I said, um, I read about this and then saw it in these rehearsals. Originally, that was a different song. So it was one of my favourite songs of all time, Bust a Move by, who was it? MC Young, was it? Sing it. Just Bust a Move. <laughs> I don't know it. Amazing, That's all I've yeah. got. Um, and he learned a full, proper hip-hop dance routine for this. He's kind of channeling... Janet Jackson and Rhythm Nation, some of the stuff he's doing, and wow. then he's doing some MC Hammer moves. And he had they had the whole thing prepped, but then um, they were told it would take a week to shoot, and they only had a day to shoot that party. So he ended up just doing this last minute. And I mean, it works brilliantly, but yeah, that rehearsal footage is worth checking out because he can seriously dance. He's he a can. brilliant dancer. Is it him singing as well? The yes. Jefferson. Oh, oh that's well, well, if you watch his early stand-up. It was doing impressions of singers. He would come on stage and oh, do Elvis. Okay. He he could do any, he could mimic anyone perfectly. He was a brilliant stand-up. Like there's a, a famous story where he was doing a gig and it wasn't going well, and there was a, a grand piano uh, on the stage. And uh, after his set, and he saw, I think about halfway through his set, and it wasn't going well. Uh, he just sort of acknowledged that it wasn't going well and just uh, climbed inside the grand piano and hid there for the rest of the night. <laughs> and so all the other standers would go on and do their show, and Jim Carrey was just in the piano and remained there. That's commitment. <laughs> um, Stephen has sex with a girl called Heather. Does he have sex with her? Oh, yeah, he does, because he wakes up. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, missed that. And then the next morning, the cable guy makes him scramby eggs. Yeah, that made, me, that made me feel yeah. sick when he said <laughs> And we realise and we find out that Heather was a sex worker who Chip paid for. Yeah, so it's gross now, but not when it's your dad, is it? In Last Crusade, he's like, oh, you can't, you've been there before me. But if it was your dad, it's fine. But they do, I think they're intentionally making it a pretty grubby at that point. Like when he's like, uh, I really liked her. Hey, it was my treat. I checked her out I myself. Checked her out, yeah. I checked her out myself. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, Owen Wilson pops up, as you have said. Um... I thought it was a gay bar. I got really confused because um, what's Leslie Thingy's character called? Heather? Robin. No, Robin. Robin. Yes. She says to Steve, I'm going on a date and this is fine because we're on a break and all the rest of it. And I thought the reversal was going to be, it's not really a date. She's got a gay best friend who she's going out for dinner with. So she hasn't, she's not intending to sleep with someone else. So it's Mm. like you reverse that expectation. And then when Jim Carrey walks in, he does, I I thought I saw men checking him out. So I was like, oh, it's a gay bar. Fine. Okay. That's where we are. And then the way that Alvin was, he's talking to her. I was like, I just didn't, I don't know. I, I oh, just, it just missed, yeah. Definitely a date and not a gay bar. Yes. Just I a restaurant. Didn't I, see We that. can confirm. Mm. Okay. 
Um, into that fight in the in the bathroom, he has another fight in the bathroom not long after this. Jim Carrey, me, myself, and Irene. But he's beating up himself, isn't he? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's one of his things. Um, the, the, talking about Leslie Mann as Robin. So this is the film that Judd Apatow met her on. I did wonder. Yeah, they've yeah. always been happily married since. And this is another thing that's on uh, the Blu-ray is the first time they met was her audition and he was reading um, Chip's lines off camera for her. So they've got that audition. So it's really sweet. You're watching this moment where uh, he says this afterwards that when she walked out of the room, they've not caught this, but he turned to Ben Stiller and said, it's so weird that Mrs. Apatow just read for us. <laughs> And he said, what are you talking about? And he friggin' made that shit happen. Fuck, you love yourself, dude. Like, wow. have you checked with her? Good for him, though. She might not want to change her name. A confident she didn't. She didn't change her name. <laughs> but, um, but he said, yeah, it really was special. And he said that the other people um, who auditioned for that role were Jennifer Lopez, Salma Hayek and Heather Locklear, but he didn't fall in love with any of them. So they didn't get the role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Apatow was not in the room for those. Uh, it's interesting. I I think that uh, the I I don't know whether it's Steve who we talked about or or, or Robin or just the script, but I I, I think their relationship is just it's a, it's a nothing in this. She film. well, she isn't given much to do. Mm. She's a she's a nothing character, isn't she? She's yeah. got no real personality of her own. I think it's a it's a wasted opportunity, especially now we know what a funny comedian she is. Yeah, I mean, I think he does a good job of treading the line. It doesn't make her into like quote marks like the bitch for kicking no. him out which is no. good to show some restraint because I think that I think that is the theme of the film that they don't maybe push hard enough is that is that codependence is bad the, the cable guy is depending on Steve but Steve's maybe nearly as bad the yeah. way he is with her it's, it, they've set it up from the beginning and we see it throughout the film so uh, the, the cable guy is just a slightly worse version of him mm. he goes to prison I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Did I was you pleased to see that. See the bit where the cops come and pick him up from the office. Did you notice who was one of the co-workers? That Tell me. Last name David, David Cross. Cross. David Cross is there. Not in it for an, a, at any other point. Yeah. David Cross. Arrested yeah, development. He, David Cross. Yep. Yeah. Um, he was on the Ben Stiller show as well. Right. Uh, one it's of the weird to have him there though and not have him do anything. Yeah. They just got. They just got their mates involved. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really early in a lot of their careers, though. Yeah. Like, even Owen Wilson, this is the first time audiences properly saw him. He'd, he'd done Bottle Rocket, but hardly anyone saw that. And so true. Um, this is before he brought the Fringe. Remember, we talked about that. Do you never see him without a Fringe now? Only this movie in Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, we talked about. It. He's got his hair swept back, and it makes him look like a completely different person. Oh yeah, it can do that. Yeah. Uh, do you not? Do you not? I remember, I, you, re- I remember you being really into this conversation before. You've changed. Wow, that's but, cool. I one remember of the, that. I remember this. Did you recognise the cop as well? The cop who arrests him is yeah. from the party earlier. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's also uh, the uh, leader of the Good Old Boys from the Blues Brothers. Yeah, Charles Napier. Charles Napier. Yeah, he did and, a lot of Russ Meyer films. And he's he's Hannibal Lecter's prison guard who gets badly eaten uh, at the end of that film. Love mm-hmm. that. He's got he's got a great face. Great face. Yeah. Um, and so we learn that Chip Douglas doesn't work for the cable company. We find out later that George Jetson and John Luke Picard were also fired from the cable company <laughs> for stalking customers. I'm not quite sure how he got jobs with those names. Yeah. I mean, I know it's early in the internet, but George Jetson and John Luke Picard. I mean, I think everyone knows that they're characters. Um, he explains the name thing, actually, when he when um, Robin in a deleted scene, Robin asks him about what his real name is. And he says that cable guys have to be like strippers. We can't let you know our real names and identities because otherwise you won't leave us alone wanting free cable. Right. So he's got like an excuse for it. And he does go visit him in prison. And as we said, he presses his nipple to the glass in homage to Midnight Express. I feel like that was 
was the big trailer moment as well. That was like one of the big because it's bright, it's scary. It's like, mm. oh look, he's yeah. going out there again. I do think it's really it's brilliant in medieval times when he's got everyone. So he's like, oh, I've you know I've given them free cable so they can do this thing. Mm. And then when Stevie's like, God help, this is the man that you know stole all that stuff, and he just shouts over. Jim Carrey shouts over to the guy. And it's like, how's that sports package working out for? Him? And you're like, oh my god, he can do anything. Yeah. Like he's got everyone under his control. That's in, really good. In the kingdom of television, the cable guy is king. Doesn't work, does it? No, because of the but repetition. But he's like the one I. Yeah. yeah, but the one I king. That one, that's repetition as well. I would give the Bible knots. I mean, if it ever came up. But he's like that. But of course you would. In, in this world. <laughs> of course you Why? Why did you say that? Like, this is new information. <laughs> of course you would give the Bible knots. It's a bit far fetched. <laughs> Too much narration. <laughs> Too much narration. Very lengthy voiceover at the start. <laughs> get into get into your turning point. Get into yeah. plot point one as quickly as possible. <laughs> Does Eve really need to be the villain? Yeah. <laughs> what is this Garden of Eden setting up that it's going to pay off at the end? <laughs> I need to write this down. Uh, we then get the dinner the dinner party from hell. Um, with... What is that password game? That was doing my head. So in. it's called Porno Password, and it's a game that Jim Carrey readily says he used to play this with his parents when he because was a kid. The, Steve, the, the he used to say porno like, words to his parents gross. when he was a child. So when Steve is like, "I don't want to play this game," you are rooting for Steve. Like, of course you don't want to say these words to your mum. That is mm. fair enough. Mm. But not see, just your mum; it's your mum and dad, and it's Saul Goodman from I know. Better Call Saul. <laughs> but also, why does the speech therapist thing not pay? Because isn't that his brother? So isn't, oh, yeah, isn't yeah. Saul, yeah, yeah. Bob Odenkirk's brother. The, the thing is, this scene I really enjoy. I really enjoy this the dinner party scene and the the uh, the, the porno password scene because it, it, I constantly feel like this is more the movie I want to see. The yeah. sort of dark and twisted stuff is I find it uncomfortable to the point of I'm not laughing at it. Whereas this, this feels like the annoying friend who's infiltrated the family. No one else gets why Steve hates him. And that's the interesting dynamic. Them going, what is wrong with you, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Why are you being like this? But it doesn't work unless you've set up Steve. So Chip is something that Steve isn't. So they try and do it a bit early where Steve doesn't really talk to his parents very much. Mm. So then Chip is there. And so the easy thing to do is like, Steve is uptight, Chip isn't. Steve ignores his mum and dad. Chip loves his, you know, and it gives, yeah. so that then you can say, oh, we, you know, it doesn't make sense to me why, why Leslie Mann and why mum and dad love Chip as much as they do. Mm. But Steve is like, you don't get it. And it's like, you, they need to say, because you're this uptight, Asshole, and he's not. So mm. we accept him kind of thing. But he doesn't do that. Yeah, and it's sort of, I mean, at this point... Yeah, at this point, he's been arrested, right? Has he been yeah, arrested? Yeah, 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 this is post-prison. So, yeah, so he's been arrested at this point, and it's sort of just, it's sort of, it, it, it's come, coming off the rails in terms of its own logic no longer works. This scene should maybe happen earlier, before he's arrested or something, but I'm just... Why? Why? Well, because why would... I mean, I know Chip has tried to pass it off as it was for his own good that he's been arrested, but I, I'm still... I mean, Matthew Broderick sitting there in a room with a guy he knows has like his. It's because he's being blackmailed because he's got this photo oh, that he's yeah. threatening to show yeah. to Robin, and yeah. so that's why he's sort of he's being gaslit and he can't fight back in this scene. Yeah, but I suppose from characters like it, where their emotional like vulnerabilities are, do we care about Steve at work with this subplot with his boss? Probably not as much as we care about Steve losing traction within his family. So to button either scene with you're being arrested would maybe pack more of a punch if it was at the end of the family scene where Steve is trying to say, this guy's a monster. And they're like, you're the monster. Cue, you get arrested. And that kind of proves mm. to the family. I think I think in the, in, the, in the family scene, like we've seen, it's this idea that 
Chip can be normal or play normal, which is kind of what we haven't seen before. He's been this extreme kind of like, Jesus Christ, this guy's unhinged for the most of the movie. And now we see like this uh, subterfuge, like he's actually making it seem like he can do normal, which is clever, which mm. is devious, which is way more interesting. I, this is a movie, this is an example of the movie that I would have rather seen. Yeah. Uh, we've got a dream sequence coming up, which, and I will say, I do think this film looks amazing. I think the way Stiller shot it, I think the camera angles, I think the colour palette, I think it looks really cool. And so that we've this got, dream sequence, I don't know about the rest of the movie, but this dream sequence is incredible. Yeah. So yeah, so we've got, um, we've, we can see uh, Chip through the spy hole. Uh, he walks down to pretend he's taking yeah. off. Always which is, funny. It's good, it, especially when it's Jim Carrey doing it because he can probably do it better than anyone. <laughs> and especially when he's got contacts in and looks terrifying. Yeah. This yeah. is really scary. The bit where he keeps walking away and then running at the door yeah. is petrifying. So here we're channeling Polanski again, but it's repulsion. Mm. And it does look like repulsion, this scene. And this is alongside a scene in a... We've had a scene in a car park that's a bit scary. And actually, on the deleted scenes, there's a stuff got much more frightening. So the scene in the car park where all the cars go off and he feels like he, he drives off in his car, um, Stephen does, oh, yeah. and... Um, Chip runs at him and jumps, turns into the Terminator and jumps on the car hmm. and, and and gets on top of the car. He's hanging off the back of it and he even references the T-1000 while he's doing that. Hmm. And then in a scene that I thought was awesome is uh, Stephen gets chased into his living room and then uh, like a, a computer generated chip appears in the snow, in the, in the TV snow when the, the TV isn't working. And then that face comes out of the TV like... Videodrome or like Lawnmower Man and is like screaming at him. I mean, it's really creepy. That's a dream sequence. Yeah, it's part right. of the dream sequence. Yeah, that would I would have kept that in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they look like they spent a bit of money on that one as well. I mean, but then it, but then it's tipping into horror, and I think this is probably this is this you know pulling back because the studio was getting terrified of what they were making. Mm. And then we're in the home straight. We're, we're, we're at the satellite. He takes Robin uh, to the satellite and he gives a speech where he says, "You'll one day you'll be able to integrate TV, phone and computer. You'll yeah, be able the, to shop at home. The point is, it's the repetition of the earlier speech, which yes. is word for word, which is why it's brilliant because you're like, this guy's got one thing that he does all the time. And because I loved his earlier speech about this is what TV, you know what I'm like for early tech. It's like, you were so right. It all came true. But because he's got nothing else, that's when you're like, you are really frightening because you're just treading the same path all the time. But, but you see, yeah, at this point, Chip is Chip's winning. Like he's convinced Steve's family that uh, Steve's the crazy one. Uh, he's ingratiated himself to Robin. It's all going well in terms of whatever plan he had. And then we get this scene where he's just sort of revealed that he's crazy and he's kidnapped Robin and he's tied her up. It's like it doesn't like I don't understand why he's done this sharp right at this mm. point in the story. Yeah. Um. Isn't it because he just wanted to be Stephen's friend? And isn't that what he says? But I screwed it up. So actually, he hasn't got what he wanted at all. Mm. And so he's just blowing it all up because he doesn't know what else to do. Okay. I just found when I watched it, I was like, it sort of shifts gears incredibly uh, quickly from mm -hmm. where he was to where he is just yeah. because it's the climax. I think he even references it at some point, doesn't he? He's like, you know, this is a great place. you got to admit, this is a great place for a climax. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the, it was a longer climax in, in the original cut they had and, and um, Chip becomes Ichabod Crane. Yeah. He's on a horse and he chases down Stephen and, uh, and then fights him in the mud. 
which is the point where Stephen then hears Robin screaming and, and goes to save her. But so they have their fight on top of the. Um... Yeah, there was. I think he was the headless horseman, wasn't he? he was like, yes. he's he's the headless horseman, and then he tries to drill. Uh, into Stephen's head with his cable guy drill yeah. while speaking like Darth Vader. Because the question is, <laughs> the question is, is he trying to kill Stephen or not? And certainly in the rehearsal footage, he's got a drill and he's and he's going to drill into his head, which mm. which we don't get in the finished film. So I feel like they pulled back there because he's gone from using a drill to using a stapler, which isn't as frightening. Mm. Um, I think it's quite sad when he says, "I just wanted to be your friend, but screwed it up." Yeah, it is. Um, and then he has a strange sequence where he starts talking to a helicopter like it's his mother, which is also weird and sad. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah. You're starting to feel some sympathy for him here. Yeah. yeah, it sort of happens quite late in the day, but yeah. And then he says somebody has to kill the babysitter, and he jumps off uh, the top of the satellite. Mm. And quite clearly, I think when you watch it, he lands on the spike. Yes, but then he doesn't. So, well, he wanted to die, didn't he? Judd Apatow says Jim wanted to die at the end of this movie. They should have killed him, and then him being spiked on top of a cable of the satellite drives cable subscription through the roof because everyone signs up to see this guy on top of the dish. That's what should happen. And now the Bible. <laughs> but in but instead, what happens? is he breaks the satellite, which brings us back to the Stan Sweet trial because everyone's waiting to see the verdict and they don't get to see the verdict. And so Kyle Gass pops up on our screen of Tenacious D fan, fame, uh, turns off the television, starts reading a book and smiling. Yeah. You see, and that's the bit that I've, that's where I sort of went, oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, because you can't judge the medium in the medium. Like, you can't make me feel bad for watching TV. But also, it's like, I didn't, I, this ref, this this idea of people being too obsessed with TV, it's not been present until this point in the well, film. Well, I suppose it only makes sense because the, uh, the OJ Simpson trial was yeah. in 95. Everyone's watching so... this, everyone's watching this. The Stan Sweet trial. They do. That's how come we keep seeing it throughout the film. Uh, yeah, I don't mind that. It's this idea of like, now the TV's gone off, I'm going to pick up a book. It's that sentiment like, if TV wasn't here, we'd all be reading books. Yeah. Well, Truman Show did exactly the same thing better not long after this in mm. terms of that very same ending. But yeah, he survives the fall. Um, and yeah, he claims that his name's Ricky Ricardo <laughs> as the I Love Lucy music starts playing. And as he's being flown away, he asks the paramedic, uh, take him to hospital if they're buddies, and then starts grinning. Yeah. And that's our cable guy. I do remember that ending, thinking, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> he's got another victim lined up. Um, but yeah, certainly, um, you know, the, Apatow said they wouldn't have let us kill him, but they all, they all wanted to kill him. And it does feel like the correct ending for the film. So this is, feels like a watered-down version of the story that should have been told. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. That's good. Thanks. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Should we do the bits then? I. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vicky, what was your favourite scene? Um, either the scary dream, because uh, it was really scary, but actually the the fl Chip's flashback with his mum mm. and you can see why he is the way he is kind of and him being raised on TV um, and, the, you know, when am I going to get a brother? So it was, yeah, it was sad and sweet and um, quite mature. So I liked it. Fun fact, uh, that's Kathy Griffin playing his mum yeah. in the scene, but that's not her voice. Isn't her? That's the voice of Ben Stiller's mum, which is quite a dark <laughs> thing for him to do. She's a great actress, Ben Stiller's mum, but yeah, that's quite dark. Yeah. Uh, Alex? Uh, I got three. Uh, either the family dinner slash porno password, the dream sequence, or Carrie singing the brilliant mm. Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane. It's just, I mean, I love that song. I love that scene. I think Me it's too. great. 
Uh, mine is uh, the trailer for um, Eric Roberts playing the sweet so brother. It looks so fucking good. It, it, it's the trailer for a film within a film, but it, I mean, I would love to see that. It just looks brilliant. Mm. Uh, Alex, who is your MVW? Kerry, 100%. I, I know I said um, I don't think it he works. Yeah. As well you as surprised me in other films at times, uh, you know, I, I do think it, it does show the limits of his powers, uh, this film, but the limits of Carrie's powers are so far above uh, anyone else's. I, I genuinely I'm a huge fan and I think he is incredibly funny and his physicality is something I could just watch forever and ever. So he's still the best thing in this movie, despite it not being um, a great uh, mark on his CV. It's the same for the same reasons. With a special mention to Ben Stiller in the every time he's in the courtroom doing those mm. those gestures that you know so well, where he's like, "This is bullshit" or whatever, and the the voice with the recording of the nine one one thing. It, I really, really loved it. I do like a courtroom drama. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but yes, Jim Carrey, obviously. I'm going Janine Garofalo. <laughs> yeah, fair oh, enough. Good, good. She does, a, she does a lot with a little hair. Yeah, and I'm such a fan of hers. But yeah. Mm. Um, and if you... she's the best thing about Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, which it makes <laughs> it's painful for me to actually acknowledge there's something good in that Mike, movie. Why are you having a dig at Romy and Michelle? Why? We've been there, we've done it. Janine Garofalo's in it. So she's sit- Vicky's it... sitting just there. Sitting there's right a connection. Here. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying it. Because <laughs> Vicky's sitting right there. It's an awful movie. I'm never watching it again. <laughs> Vicky, if you could change anything, what would you change? So, Stephen doesn't learn anything permanent from Chip, and I think he should. So, mm. um, because then it could even be something to do with free cable like or like chip teaches Stephen how to get free cable or something like that something that robin is opposed to so that when they're reunited at the end it's like chip's way of being is quite he's literally infectious and he's infected Stephen with his way of seeing the world and his way of doing things Mm. so you pull out from them happily reunited with now Stephen is going to be more like chip in his life it's like a virus yeah what about i mean Stephen's unemployed now so maybe he becomes a cable guy brilliant yeah, that's honestly. my that's my change done. Yeah, Alex, excellent. Um, uh, I I think the darkness spoils it. I I honestly think um, uh, Lou Holtz Jr.'s uh, original idea of uh, a what about Bob, an annoying friend who infiltrates the life. I want to see that Jim Carrey movie. Sure. I want to see him invade Matthew Broderick's life. It be hilarious and awkward and irritating, and him ruining his job and his relationship. But it being much more lighter in tone. That's that's the movie I want to see. I wish they hadn't gone down this route, and I know it was Carrey who wanted to do it. So there you go. But it's um, you know, occasionally just blowing things up because you want to do something different isn't always the best idea. Yeah. Would have paired well with Bob. What about Bob? Would have been great. I mean, Kerry is an annoying mate who, like, Matherick Broderick is the straight guy. I just don't think they spend enough time on screen together. Uh, and you, I just don't get to, I, I don't get to understand, you know, the relationship. It's like Broderick is scared of him and then okay with him and then listens to his advice. It's just like he needs to be more of an irritation rather than this just sort of force of nature that blows Matthew Broderick off the screen. Fair enough. We're done. That was great. Thanks, guys. Right then, it's time for the verdict. Bum, bum. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Uh, these were my movies. Sorry, I forgot. I was sitting there looking at both of you going, well, someone speak. But, uh, no, I <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, you picked these. I did pick these. All right then, so... Uh, who's going to go first? Uh, well, I think, well, actually, I don't know what people... Oh, yeah, I'll go with Christopher first. Okay. So I think Cable Guy is just too mean-spirited to be enjoyable. And there are times when I think it's simply making fun of someone who is mentally ill, which is pretty uncomfortable to watch. But Stay Tuned is just too bad to be enjoyable. 
So as Cable Guy is a coherent story with a bit of ambition and great visuals and jokes that are more than just puns, I'm going to have to go with Cable Guy, which really surprised me this week. (laughs) I thought I was going to say stay tuned, but watching them back to back, I've gone with Cable. Okay, one for Cable Guy. Do you mind if I go next, V? Not at all. So I actually, weirdly, I have enjoyed talking about Cable Guy more than I enjoy talking about Stay Tuned. And I think that is because Cable Guy actually has more going on in it and stay tuned is a very very superficial um i i wouldn't agree totally with what you said on monday about it being like a sketch show because there is definitely an arc there especially for john ritter's character but it's so it's such a fluff piece it's like superficial beyond belief like it's difficult to sort of get into it and talk about it whereas cable guy there's some meat on the bones that said, stay tuned because it's fucking awesome. Yay! <laughs> Victoria? Uh, I enjoyed Cable Guy a lot more than I thought I would, but I think it misses a trick in not exploring Chip's character in terms of what TV has done to him and that he can't interact with the world unless it's through the prism of television uh, rather than this being like an extra thing in his character where he's weird and he was raised on television uh, or mental health challenges and raised on television, whichever. Stay tuned isn't actually about TV because he's got more heart than that, but the framework of TV shows is a perfect way to explore it because of that dream element that I kept banging on about like anything can happen within certain very satisfying boundaries. I loved watching it again. I am baffled as to why it wasn't a fucking smash. Stay tuned. I know. I heard you sigh. <laughs> Nostalgia is a terrible thing. Nostalgia is a wonderful thing. <laughs> stay tuned is the winner this Yay! week. Ooh, 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 a wooga. Yeah, stay tuned is our winner. I think it's time to talk about what we're doing next week because I know you cannot wait for this week to be over and next week to begin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's safe to say next week's a belter. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. So... I'm going to hand it over to the Best Bits Boys. Hello, Alex, Vicky and Chris. This is Will and Kevin here from the Best Bits Podcast. We got your request to do a best robot scene and we smashed it. (laughs) It's an amazing episode and all your listeners should come over and listen to it on our feed where we (laughs) pick our favourite scenes each week and we had so much fun picking our favourite robot scene. We even borrowed your format to do it. But in return, no, it's, I think, only fair that we give you a challenge and we'll tell them what the challenge is. Well, since it's coming up on the 30th anniversary of the release of this film, we want you to pit two of the greatest horror sci-fi films against each other, the original and its sequel, Terminator versus Terminator 2. Which is the better? (laughs) Kevin, what were you leaning? I think it's an impossible decision, to be honest with you. And no matter what one you pick, it's going to be the wrong one. But personally, I think I'm going to have to pick Terminator because it's the first one and it's a perfect film. And um, yeah, it doesn't have two Terminators in it, uh, (laughs) but it is... It's the one that kicked off the whole franchise and it is an airtight, fantastic horror film. And I love me some horror films. So there'd be no Terminator 2 without Terminator and... For that reason, I'm going with the first one. You're a madman. You're a madman. <laughs> it has to be Terminator 2. It has to be Terminator 2. And um, the, the groundbreaking special effects alone are fantastic, but it's got a cracking script, great performances, amazing set pieces. And it also has one of the best deleted scenes of all time, which we featured in our best deleted scene episode. And um, so I'm going to lean Terminator 2. So, folks, I cannot wait to hear how this splits you apart as friends for the rest of your lives. (laughs) Which will it be? 
uh, Terminator or Terminator 2. But before you make the decision, just remember that only one of the films is about two guys who travel back in time naked to stop a woman from having sex. So Terminator <laughs> is the right answer. Choose wisely. Oh, impossible decision, they say. That's what we deal in on this podcast. We just declared the greatest Indiana Jones movie of all time. I think we can handle the Terminator films. It's very exciting, though. So thank you, Will, and thank you, Kevin. That's a great... Lovely. Much appreciated. Uh, I'll take Terminator if you want Terminator 2v. I would love to. Yeah? Yep. Would you? Yeah, no, I really would. Sorry. Okay. Why are you holding your headphone like you're a DJ about to spin, <laughs> spin a tune? I know we don't talk about the heat, but I genuinely think I might fit. So can't <laughs> we? All right. So next week, it's Terminator vs. Terminator 2 starting on Monday with Terminator. Get your homework done. If you haven't done already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Uh, thank you to the Best Bits boys again for those selections for next week. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.